Welcome to Query, where we provide simple answers to complex tech questions. My name is Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Serenity Caldwell. Hello, Stephen. Hey. You know, we we trade off doing the intros, and today we're recording two episodes back-to-back because I've got some travel coming up, and I think you do a much better job of the intro than I do. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like you just have more, more segments to do in Query, and you've gotten those nailed down a little bit more. We, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, the tr- the transition, the transition. You know, it's got to go to somebody. Yeah, so. it's true. It's true. You do an the, excellent hashtag S query. Oh well, thank you. Yeah, I've got the. I've recorded them fresh. They're not dropped in, as you know. <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not calling. I'm not phoning it in over here with the hashtag begging. It's uh, oh no, no. It's artisanally all... <laughs> handcrafted reads every time. Artisanally handcrafted reads. Uh, that yeah. that needs to be on a T-shirt somewhere. Yeah. No doubt, manufacturing. <clears throat> All right, so we have a bunch of stuff to talk about this week, and we're going to start with home automation, which we've talked a little bit about in the past. We sort of talked around it. We're diving right in this week. Uh, ben wrote in and said, "Home automation has me completely confused. If I have a fourth generation Apple TV, do I need a separate hub to control HomeKit lights, etc.?" So, Ben, you're right. The Apple TV. Uh, does have something to do with HomeKit. Basically, what it allows you to do is, if you have an Apple TV and you have this set up on it, it allows HomeKit-enabled devices to be reached when you aren't on your home network. So I have this in my house, and so I can open the Home app when I'm at the gym or at the coffee shop or at the grocery store, basically the only three places I go, and (laughs) I can see, oh, I let the front light on and I can turn it off. Um, So the Apple TV is really just sort of the pass-through to the outside world. Um, But there's a lot more to this than just that. Yeah, I think the best way to kind of tackle this is to explain what a hub even is and why that's important. So HomeKit, um, the way that HomeKit essentially works is that um, devices use an encrypted stream to chat with between your your iPhone and whatever the device is, say the lights or your temperature sensor. Um, and some of these, like um, I've got a really great Eve uh, weather sensor from Elgato, and that has a HomeKit, like an encrypted HomeKit beacon built in uh, so that if my iPhone wants to talk to the Eve, it can do so directly uh, because it has basically Bluetooth connected to it. Um, however, there are other devices like, say, Philips Hue lights, uh, which don't have this little piece built in. Um, in part because, I mean, with, with lights, it was, oh, well, they're so, you know, they're, a lot of Philips Hue lights were made before HomeKit was even a thing. So they were built in with basically Philips Hue's proprietary HomeKit-style uh, connectivity network built in. Um, so when HomeKit came out, instead of Philips Hue saying, oh, well, we're going to redesign all of our light bulbs Uh, so that every single light bulb has to have HomeKit connectivity. Instead, they're like, well, we're going to release uh, a new updated version of our router, uh, which is what the aforementioned hub. So the hub takes the place of having the electronics inside the light bulb or the switch or the plug or whatever you're using for your your smart home. Um, And it tries to, it connects multiple devices. So my Philips Hue, I have probably nine or 10 different Philips Hue bulbs. And then I use those, um, and those talk to the Philips Hue hub, 
and it's the hub that connects to HomeKit. So when my iPhone is connecting to HomeKit, what my iPhone's actually talking to is the Philips Hue hub, and then that hub is then relaying the signals to the various lights. It's also why certain HomeKit devices might take longer to do things than others, especially if they have a hub pass-through. There can sometimes be a couple extra milliseconds delay. Um, So where the Apple TV fits all into this is that the Apple TV is essentially, in, as, as Stephen was saying, like a, an extra version of that. Whereas like the local hub or the local little bits that are in, say, the Eve Weather, those talk directly to HomeKit on your iPhone. The Apple TV being a hub allows those bits to talk to a HomeKit device when your iPhone's not around. Because they can't talk to your iPhone directly if you're out of the house. So instead, they talk to your Apple TV, and then your Apple TV talks to your iPhone. Yeah, it's like a, it's like the a game of telephone. <laughs> like, yeah, basically. <laughs> you tell something and it goes all the way down the chain. And most like starter kits, so I've got a bunch of Philips Hue stuff as well. I've got two lights on my desk, two lights on the other desk in my office, and then I've got a big rack of shelves and they all have them in there. And the the little the hub I have came with like a starter kit of three light bulbs. And so most of the time if you're looking to get into this, you can kind of get a kit that has the hub and stuff with it, and then you can just add lights as you go. So the two on my desk I just added pretty recently. I didn't have to buy another hub or I didn't have an extra hub. Uh, they have different SKUs when you go out and, and buy this stuff. Um, so it's it's not as complicated as it seems, like as long as you've got the hub for whatever devices you're using, uh, then you're set. So mine is just under my desk. It's plugged in to Ethernet. And, you know, I don't, I never think about it. I never have to interact with it. It's just sitting there on my network, uh, listening for commands and telling light bulbs what to do. Yeah. And actually, uh, I ran into this problem, um, when I, you know, I'm, I've been up in Montreal for a little bit, uh, and I brought a couple of my home kit bulbs and, um, my Hue Go, which is that little, you know, it's a portable little glowy light, Um, And then I I set it all up and then I realized, oh, wait, my phone can't talk to these because I left my hub back in in the Boston area. So instead, I I went out and bought a Nanoleaf Aurora, which has its built in. <laughs> I don't know if that was necessarily the uh, the solution by a $200 lighting kit instead of a $60, another $60 hub. But I kind of like your style, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's very fun. Uh, and, and there are some exceptions, right? Like not all these devices need hubs, right? Yes, exactly. So um, so I did, I did mention like the Eve Weather. Um, a lot of the other Elgato products don't require it. A lot of the, uh, a lot of the plugs have it built in. I mean, obviously like, hopefully you're not going to have a, 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 a smart plug that also requires an additional router. Um, usually the only devices that have a hub are tend to have multiple connected bits to them, like light bulbs, for example, um, because, it's a little bit easier than, again, all of these components cost money as well. So it might be the difference between, you know, between Philips Hue bulbs costing an extra 5 to $10 if all of the HomeKit stuff was built in specifically, as opposed to just having one hub and then that being it. Um, the Amazon Echo, of course, also has its own stuff, although Amazon doesn't talk to HomeKit. Um, so there, it's interesting because you think about, um, you think about the way that the echo works, the echo is actually, can be a hub for other products. Um, 
the same way kind of that your iPhone uh, works as your HomeKit hub. Amazon has, you know, it's kind of, it's smart accessories connect, like works with, works with Echo kind of stuff. Um, and so it works the same way that your iPhone works as kind of a device to, to connect with. Um, but like, for instance, the Philips Hue bulbs still need that extra, that extra hub. They can't connect directly to the Echo without any pass through. The, uh, I think the only, I think the only, uh, caveat to that is that one of the new Echoes has its own hub built in and it comes with like one smart bulb. But again, like the details are kind of in the fine print with that stuff. Yeah. Also, is it a Philips bulb? Is it an Amazon bulb? Uh, it's a Philips Hue bulb. Whoa. Okay. That's wacky. I, I didn't yeah, catch yeah. that in Amazon's announcement. Interesting. But yeah, uh, the TLDR, uh, there's a lot of complicated stuff going on. And part of it is due to trying to save money. And part of it is due to, you know, trying to take up as many spots as possible on your router. No, that's that's not actually why. But that's <laughs> sometimes why I feel how I feel about this process. Um, regardless, the Apple TV is there to make it strangely easier because believe it or not, before HomeKit and before the Apple TV, there were actually companies that sold external router boxes. So I think about um, I think about the August Smart Lock, for example. The August Smart Lock technically is a is a self contained thing. Uh, but it used to sell an external router box if you wanted to connect to August outside of your home network. So, oh, wow. so you had to buy an extra box. This is again pre HomeKit if you wanted to talk to your Smart Lock whenever you were not on your local Wi-Fi network. Uh, with HomeKit and the Apple TV, that is obliviated, uh, but doesn't mean that they still don't sell that box on their website because a lot of people still don't have you know Apple TVs or use HomeKit. Yeah. So lots of options, but I think it's not as as complex as it as it seems. And you know, so you and I, it sounds like we're both using some light bulbs. Uh, we've talked about cameras in the past. Do you have anything sort of outside of those two big categories? Like I'm not using any smart locks or anything like that at this point. Yeah, um, I did have an August home, although sadly I, I broke it. Although more more aptly, I think my door broke it by just being a shoddy door. Uh, I'm currently <laughs> oh, no. testing. Yeah, I know. R.I.P. R.I.P. Lock. I am currently testing the Friday lock, um, which is this very slim, like sleek kind of smart home lock that I quite like. Um, I'm going to mention the Nanoleaf Aurora again, just because it's an it's such an interesting take on lighting because it's not quite so much straight lighting the way that Philips Hue is. It's actually more of an art piece. It has it's basically a slow, slow, different color changing tiles that you can put in any in any uh, orientation, and they're pretty cool. Um, I have the Eve Weather, which I love. It's this tiny little self-contained thing that you literally you just stick it in a window um, and you forget about it. And it does have a display if you want to look at it and just be like, oh, it's, you know, this this temperature outside. But the app itself, as well as HomeKit, will give you more detailed readouts about like the air quality and the temperature and all of that. It's, it's like having a little tiny temperature sensor in your home. Um, and I used to use uh, door sensors as well um, for automation, where it's like, oh, when the door is open, turn the lights to this. Um, I've really started playing around with HomeKit's various like uh, automated setups, and I'm I'm really enjoying them. They're still not like they're still not a hundred percent accurate. Is not quite the right word. Reliable. They're still not a hundred percent reliable, uh, especially the. Uh, sensors that work via Bluetooth only as opposed to Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. Uh, I am curious to test it now that I have the Apple TV 4K 
um, because I feel like the the software and the tvOS update has made all that stuff a little bit more rock solid um, but that's kind of that's my general category o things so you're further down the rabbit hole than I am sounds like <laughs> down the rabbit hole yeah just a little bit unfortunately uh, if you want to join us in that rabbit hole you can use the hashtag askquery on Twitter and we go out and collect those questions and answer them here on the show also just tech questions. Uh, so get in touch and uh, we'll talk about it. Max wrote in with with what they said was a potentially gross question. How do you clean your AirPods and case? And I think we're going <laughs> to kind of expand this. To like, how do we clean our tech? Right. Like, not, not yeah. just headphones. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to start with, you know, yeah, we don't like thinking about potentially gross things like earwax. But let's be honest, if you don't clean it, it's going to be a lot more gross. So props to you for asking about this. And also it's a. Uh, it's something that I've had on my mind recently, too, because I recently looked at my AirPods case and I was like, ooh, that's, that's getting a little bit not so great. Um, so why don't let's let's kick it off with AirPods. Stephen, how do you clean AirPods? Uh, so we're going to re- refer to our friend, uh, Mike Sargent. He wrote this great article in iMore about how to do this. And he uses um, like a microfiber cloth and then uh, using Q-tips and he like... It's like he goes he, he, all he, out. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole like situation over at, at Micah's <laughs> house when he does this. Uh, for me, you know, microfiber cloth, like the edge of my t-shirt, will work. Sometimes, you know, you do get earwax in the end of it, um, and a Q-tip can do uh, a good job at that. Or you know, kind of something pokey to get in there and, and get it out. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I think that that kind of has done it for me in in the past. Um, Micah does mention um, water. Or like, and hand sanitizer and like, don't use hand sanitizer. Don't, don't God, do that. No. Um, a, a little touch of water on a cloth can help. Um, but I think with liquid, with any of these things, just a dab will do. You don't have to do a lot. Just do the, the minimal amount of liquid and you should be okay. Yeah. It's, it is surprisingly easier to clean them than you would think. Uh, Q-tips yeah. make a huge difference. Um, so off of that, I want to talk about the things that you might use your AirPods with, say an Apple watch. Um, and in this case, I'm just going to kind of focus on the, the Apple watches and the iPhones that are, are currently, uh, water resistant, <laughs> swim proof. Yeah. One of them is swim, two of them are swim proof. The series two and series three are swim proof. Um, but the iPhone seven or later are just water resistant, um, if you get, if you're using, say, I use my iPhone a lot in the kitchen and I'll frequently get like flour on it or whatever, I'll frequently use a damp cloth to wipe it off. Or if I've gotten it really sticky, I'll even like stick it under the faucet for a couple seconds just to get like a stream of water on it. Now, granted, what I am saying is water on the display, not submerging the phone underwater. Uh, theoretically, you know, I have submerged the phone underwater and taken photos with it and it's been fine, but I've also submerged, you know, my, my buddy Rick's phone underwater and killed it on the first try. So do not submerge your phone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. During Thanksgiving, RIP. Uh, yeah. So don't submerge your iPhone if you're going to wash it with water. Um, if it's something that you can get off just with an, an antibacterial, or not an antibacterial, a microfiber cloth, um, with a little bit of like whoosh or other damp stuff that works well. Um, and then one final note on the Apple Watch, um, because the Apple Watch is swim proof, if you go swimming in salt water or if you otherwise get your Apple Watch 
um, dirty, if you find that you're having trouble turning the crown, for instance, I will almost always like dunk it underwater and like do a really like a fairly thorough cleaning with like a, a washcloth or something. And that works really well for getting out like salt residue and, and all kinds of gunk that ends up getting stuck underneath your digital crown. Yeah, there's a, there, we'll put a support document uh, from Apple on how to do this. It talks about how to do bands and, and all sorts of stuff. The digital crown is something I get a lot because I will mountain bike with my watch on and it'll get dust or like sometimes just straight up mud, like packed in around it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a little time under the sink will do it wonders. Um, as far as, as older products that aren't necessarily water resistant, uh, you got to be you know more careful. Again, you can use a little bit of water on a cleaning cloth. Uh, there's also a product that I really like. We'll put a link in the show notes uh, called iClear. It's what actually we used back at the day, like at the Apple store. Um, still sell it. You can get it on Amazon for like 10 bucks. It is probably not that much better than... <laughs> than just water. Um, <laughs> but they have some like little singles and it comes with a nice cleaning cloth. It, it doesn't have any alcohol or ammonia in it, but it can do a nice job with stuff that water will struggle with. It's got a little more, uh, a little more heft to it. So uh, if you're looking for something that's kind of grimy, like an older device, maybe that you recovered from a family member or something, uh, iClear can be useful. But again, if it's not water resistant, you don't want to soak this thing, you know, apply it to the rag first and then kind of work your way around and, and take your time. And, you know, you're not, you're not soaking these things because it doesn't take much liquid to cause an issue for devices <laughs> that aren't rated for it. No, no, it does not. So I'm going to talk about Apple Watch bands real quick. Uh, I've actually gotten a couple questions about that uh, off Twitter, especially because people know that I play roller derby and they're like, well, how do you keep your bands from not smelling like roller derby gear, uh, which is a terrible smell. If anybody has uh, is a parent of a hockey kid, you probably... You know that smell, um, or soccer. Really, are you, if you're a parent of a kid who's who's doing sports. Uh, so Apple Watch bands, um, primarily, if I'm I'm wearing like the woven nylon or the sport loop these days, uh, and both of those can be laundered, which is pretty cool. You can just throw them in a little tiny laundry bag. Um, and you can get them off Amazon for like two, $3 and launder them the way that you'd launder anything else. Uh, I tend not to put them in the dryer. I just wash them and then I lay them out to dry. Um, and then from there they smell good as new. Um, if you're, if you have ones that have metal clasps, but are also not entirely metal, say the sport, the original sport band, usually mm-hmm. I'll just use a microfiber cloth and, uh, and uh, just some of that, you know, either iClear or Whoosh or any, you know, choose your choose your poison for for or hopefully not poison for washing your bands. <laughs> uh, and then if you have an entirely metal band, you're going to want to uh, basically use it with a damp cloth and then um, use specialized polish or um, or, you know, stuff to stuff to clean metal. Basically, if you're if you have a Milanese or a stainless steel link band or something along those lines kind of moving uh, up in size, you know, probably like a, like a MacBook or a MacBook Pro, you know, these laptops, the screens get dirty, the keyboards get dirty. Like it's just, it can be quite the situation. Again, a damp, soft, like lint-free cloth can do a good job. You want to be really careful here. Don't spray liquid directly on your laptop because they are full of openings. There's space around each key. <laughs> There's vents. Uh, some laptops used to have things called ports. You used to get liquid into there. <laughs> that can be disastrous. So definitely same type deals earlier. Spray it on the cloth. You know, go slow. Kind of work your way around. Um, the 
the the screens. You know, you want to be careful that the cloth doesn't have any, anything on it, so you don't scratch the screen. Um, but again, totally doable. And basically, with the with a desktop, kind of the same thing. You know, uh, an iMac has openings, and you know, Mac Pros have openings, and just again, you don't want to use anything like aerosol spray or anything abrasive. Nothing with hydrogen peroxide, just like, you know, water on a nice cloth and you should be set. Yeah. So on the note, Stephen, I want to talk about something that I feel like has been both of the banes of our existence recently. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is trying to clean the the ultra thin MacBook Pro keyboard. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. So the 12 inch MacBook or the 2016 or 2017 MacBook Pros. Yeah. So I don't know. I feel like you and I were commiserating about this a couple weeks ago, where when I went out to California for the Apple event, um, normally I try my very hardest not to eat around my computer because I, you know, too many, too many high school memories of crumbs and keyboards. Uh, but you know, uh, when you're, when you're working from an event, sometimes things happen and you eat a sandwich. Um, and after, after that lunchtime, I noticed all of a sudden that my space bar just felt like it was completely non-functional. Like I could not press down on it, not even a little bit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, this was a challenge and I'm not going to lie, like how I event, how I inevitably fix this, uh, aside from like tapping on the other side of the keyboard, was actually holding on the other side of the space bar and then repeatedly ramming the, the space bar key until I got the key, oh, the, oh boy. the crumbs out, um, or oh at least boy. the crumbs crushed down to the point where it no longer worked. Uh, please tell me you have a better way of not damaging my computer, Stephen, because I feel like that that's just, just it's not a good one. Well, I got a mixed bag for you here. So there's a document on Apple's website. You turn, you hold your laptop up and use compressed air. Um, but I had a similar issue just last week where a piece of debris was under the I key. I tried what Apple suggested and I felt like it was okay. Like I got the travel back and it seemed all right. Uh, but then it happened again a few days later. And so I tried the serenity method of just like tapping it over and over. And now the bottom of my key is like floppy. It broke one of the mounts. So I got to deal with, (laughs) I got to deal with Apple care, uh, after a, a work trip to get my MacBook Pro serviced. I dislike this keyboard. I don't like the way it feels. I don't like the fact that it's extremely fragile. If you eat a sandwich, um, <laughs> thumbs down from my camp about this. But uh, if you do have this problem, compressed air, like I know lots of people have had this, compressed air is taking care of it. I feel like my example is probably really extreme, but uh, it's something to look out for. Yeah, maybe maybe don't uh, hulk out and try and smash your yeah. keys. Because, yeah, worked for me, but did not work for Steven. Did not work for me at all. Oh. I got a, a repair in my computer's future. All right. Well, uh, let's let's skip right on over uh, this lovely, uh, hopefully most of that advice is fairly, fairly good for folks. But uh, let, let's go to the speed run so we can give more good advice and, and ignore all of our failures <laughs> in life. All right. So let's start with Dennis. Dennis writes, my iPhone tries to connect to Wi-Fi networks that my family members have used. Hmm. Can I prevent this while syncing keychains, uh, keychain items across my devices? Now, this is interesting to me, Dennis, because in theory, the way that iCloud works is that um, it's only trying to sync Wi-Fi networks that your iCloud account is connected to. So this tells me, without necessarily talking to you, uh, that... Chances are you and your family are using the same iCloud account. 
which you know it, it was it was done in past years and and in some cases the only way to do certain things but at this point apple has a really really good way of setting up family sharing and it works for you know your music and it works for things like uh photos while still giving you individual access to personal storage and keychains uh so if this is in fact the case and you're all using one iCloud account, uh, we do, um, we're going to put it in the show notes. Uh, iMore has a great guide on family sharing and getting that set up and moving a single account off of, you know, with multiple people on it, off of one singular account and into several multiple accounts. And hopefully this will solve your problem because in theory, you should be able to sync your keychain across all of your devices without having Wi-Fi networks that your family members are popping up on. Um, although I am curious, as a side note, what Wi-Fi networks uh, are being connected to that are a bad thing? <laughs> like, are there multiple are there multiple Wi-Fi networks in your home, and do you only prefer the one that you use? Yeah, I, I had that question too, but um, I think you'll be I think you'll be right getting all separated out and setting up family sharing if you want it. Yeah, it's a lot better. I like how Stephen always gives me the folks whose names I'm going to have trouble pronouncing. This name isn't bad. Like, no. Well, it could, it could go... Neaton. Neaton? All right. Yeah, I'm Neaton, good with it. Neaton writes, and I'm sorry, if I butchered your name, please correct me. And I butchered it. It's my fault. <laughs> That's true. Blame Stephen. Uh, Neaton writes, I have a quad-core mid-2011 iMac. Would an SSD-based Mac Mini be faster, even if it's dual-core? For handbrake and Netflix, what do you think? This is a this is a complicated question. I think so. The newer Mac Minis are all dual core. I say newer in air quotes because they haven't <laughs> updated it since 2014. But whatever, it's not the topic for today. And SSD will make everyday tasks faster. So just using the computer, doing email and calendaring and Google Docs, like all that stuff, everything will be faster on an SSD. However. One of your examples, this will not be true for, and that's Handbrake. So Handbrake and other multi-threaded CPU tasks. So if you're doing editing in Logic or Final Cut, or you are doing something in Mathematica or something that is really like high-end computing, the quad-core it will probably still be faster because it has twice the number of cores to spread the workout across. But I would recommend, this is what I did, so I have two Mac minis like this. I have one at home and then one that's uh, a server for Relay FM that lives at Mac Mini Colo uh, in Las Vegas or Mac, Mac Stadium now. It They're both quad cores and I put SSDs in both of them. <laughs> and that means I get all the CPU goodness and I get a super fast disk. That is not for the faint of heart. There's some some guides on iFixit. You should follow them. If you don't feel handy enough to do this and it is not the easiest thing in the world to do, Find an Apple-authorized service provider in your area, and they will charge you some amount of money, and they'll put SSD in it for you. Uh, that's what I would do at this point. I would not – if you have a 2011 um, machine that's working, then I don't know if I would run out and replace it if you can just put an SSD in what you have. So that's totally doable. Um, so something to think about. Maybe doing that upgrade. Yeah, uh, I've done SSD upgrades in several of my machines before, and I really like it. I vastly, I, I've kept a, a 2008 era MacBook Pro running until the present day. Uh, That's pretty good. As a result of that, yeah. So SSD upgrades are pretty, pretty nice. All right. So rounding out this week, uh, we have a couple of questions. Uh, Crucial TK on Twitter and uh, Pio Toro asks, uh, 
concerning iTunes 12.7, the new version of iTunes, it removed the app syncing and iOS app store from iTunes. Can we delete these iOS app files off our Macs? What if you need to sync apps with your iPhone using iTunes still? Because you maybe have an app that's not in the app store anymore. This answer changed the day of our recording. <laughs> so It did. Um, Apple, Apple threw us a curveball. Well, first of all... Um, if uh, the the very first part of your question, can you delete iOS app files off of your Mac? The answer is as long as you have them backed up somewhere, whether that's if you trust Apple's App Store or if you just want to back them up locally, say on an external hard drive, if you're worried about ever losing access to said apps, then yeah, absolutely. Um, if you're not worried about losing access to said apps, uh, some people really are, but if you're not, then also absolutely, because iTunes will keep track of all of your past purchases. The only thing where that gets tricky is if, uh, the developer removes their app from the store, uh, or if, uh, it's otherwise left unsupported, say a 32 bit app, iTunes will, or the app store will remove that link, um, and the ability for you to download that. So that could be a little tricky. Um, for all of the other questions, uh, until yesterday, it was very different, as Stephen said. But now the answer is uh, 12.6.3 version of iTunes, ostensibly for folks who have uh, who have business uh, like MDM solutions who need to to provision a bunch of devices with certain apps. Uh, but also anybody can download this, and this is basically uh, a previous version of iTunes that has the App Store included. Yeah, so they brought that back for those users. Um, so if you're not one of those users and you still want it, it's available to everybody. So yeah, uh, the I guess the one thing that I would say about this is that it's not really, at least for me, Stephen. The problem is not that I needed the App Store in iTunes. The problem is when Apple removed the App Store from iTunes, it also made it impossible to try and search things for search for apps on the web because they would try and redirect to a place in iTunes that didn't exist. Uh, and then everything went pear-shaped. So really it's like if Apple could come up with an alternate solution for say viewing and previewing apps, perhaps online where they already have pages without sending people to iTunes, that might also solve everybody's problems. Google Google does it. The Play Store is online, and it's great. You can like click on an app and download it to your Android phone. Uh, ah, I'd love to see beautiful. Apple go down that road. Yeah, it's really nice. I would love that. Oh my gosh, we have. Yeah. I, I can send my maps to my iPhone. Why can't I send an, an app? Just one letter difference. Come on, Apple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Query this week. You can find show notes on the website relay.fm/slash/query/slash/15. You get in touch with us there. If you have a question you want us to answer on the show, tweet it with the hashtag AskQuery, and we'll be sure to see it. In the meantime, you can find Serenity on Twitter at Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, and can find her writing at imore.com. I'm ISMH on Twitter and write at 512pixels.net. Until next week, Serenity, say goodbye. A plus tard. Adios.